You may be seated. It's such a privilege to be here with you today. Um, We've known John and Kim, I don't know, probably five, six, seven years. And uh, they come down and visit our church in Perryville, Maryland. Uh, Much different from Brooklyn, New York. I think I was telling John and Kim last night, I think they have as many people on their street as we do in our little sleepy town. Um, But uh, it's been such a privilege to know John and Kim uh, for these years. Uh, But to really get to know you uh, in the last day a whole lot better than we had previously. And uh, thank you, Brian, for allowing me to come as well. Uh, It is such a privilege uh, to share God's word with you. Uh, But before I even do that, uh, I did want to take the opportunity to share with you what the Lord has been doing in uh, in my wife, Laura, and my life uh, in the last few years. Um, I grew up as a missionary kid in France. Uh, I moved there when I was five years old, so I was the age of my middle child, which is kind of wild to think about. And uh, you can actually turn on to that next slide right away. Um, so I grew up in France. Uh, I spent the uh, from the age of five to the age of 15 there, and then I moved to uh, a small little village called Condern in Germany. Uh, which is uh, home of a missionary kids' school. So we had students come from all over the world, France, uh, all across uh, Western, Eastern Europe. We had students from the Middle East, Russia, all over. And uh, we basically came together uh, to study uh, and to learn God's word, but also to get ready for college because most of us were in schools that were not teach, that were not taught in English, and it's actually when I spent uh, two years in Germany that God really got a hold of my heart. I professed faith in Christ at the young age of four years old. Um, my parents led me to Christ every every night before we'd go to bed. They'd read us Bible stories. They'd pray with us. And one night I said. Daddy, I don't want to go to hell. What do I need to do? <laughs> and I trusted Jesus. Um, and I lived a pretty straight and narrow Christian life. I never really deviated too far away. I mean, I, I'm a sinner, so I did sinful things. Uh, but it wasn't until high school in Germany that God really took hold of my heart. Uh, being a missionary kid had its challenges. Uh, we were constantly on the move. And so every time it felt like I was establishing roots, it was time to move on. Uh, so much unlike your story of you know having been born and, and, and raised and continued on in your life here in Brooklyn, my life, I was born in Chicago, moved to France when I was five, and then within the next five years, we moved four times. And uh, not just to another neighborhood, to completely different areas of the country. And over time, that started to wear on me. And my parting words to my parents as they dropped me off at this boarding school, I wasn't sent away because I was bad, it was my choice, Um, but my parting words to my parents were, I will never put my kids through what you have put me through. (laughs) And here I am today, preparing to put my kids through what my parents put me through, but with great joy and with great hope that he, the Lord, will use that time in their lives to transform their lives as well. Laura, uh, who must be with our youngest 
uh, in helping him stay calm. Uh, actually grew up in a ministry family as well. She is the child of a pastor um, in uh, Northeast. That's the actual town's name, Northeast Maryland. Some of you have come to Sandy Cove and have probably come to our church, which is about 10 minutes south of there. And he's been the pastor at a Baptist church for 37 years. And uh, he is a faithful uh, uh, follower of Christ, wonderful leader, wonderful father and father-in-law. And, uh, and so we both have this background of being children of ministers. And uh, in, in high school, for both of us, the Lord pressed upon our hearts this desire to serve him in missions. I went on my first mission trip to Croatia. That's really what led me to want to devote my whole life to ministry. Uh, Up to that point, my goal in life was to make lots of money in international business. I figured I speak two languages, can't be that hard to make loads of money. And the Lord just completely changed the direction of my life. Not that you can't serve him in international business, because we certainly need strong Christian leaders in the business world. But the Lord called me to ministry. Uh, on that trip. I was a senior in high school and much uh, similar for Laura's life. Didn't know, but that's about that same time. She went to a, a country in Eastern Europe as well called Moldova. You may have heard of that country. And she went there twice, two summers in a row and really sensed God saying, I want, I want you to serve me. And so we met in college, uh, in 2000. That's hard to believe. 17 years ago. I feel like I should be too young for that. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we met in college. After about a year of trying to convince her to date me, she started dating me. And uh, six months later, we were engaged. She knew I was serious, so she kind of held me back until she was ready. And uh, we were married on February fifteenth, two 2003. And if you remember, I imagine you got hit by it as well. That was the great blizzard of 2003, so half our wedding guests didn't show up. But... You know, it is what it is. Uh, we Once we got married, we uh, moved back up to Philadelphia where we got our undergraduate degrees at Philadelphia Biblical University, continued on and studied to become Christian counselors. And uh, the Lord quickly moved us from counseling ministry. I worked as a professional counselor for about a year and a half, but my heart was in the church. My heart was with the people of God and, and the Lord just opened a door for me to be able to uh, work at our church. And I've been there for nine years now as the associate pastor. And uh, as you can see, and you met them earlier, our, we have three beautiful children. Sophia is six, although she'll be seven next week. Eliana is five. And Seth, my little mini-me, is two years old. And uh, they are such a great blessing. And uh, we prayed and prayed and prayed for children because it took us a very long time. And the Lord finally blessed us, and he blessed us mightily. So we are so, so, so thankful for that. If you would turn to the next slide. Uh, This slide, which you probably can't read because I've designed it for a larger screen, and I apologize for that. That's my fault. Uh, I could have just shortened it and made bigger words, but uh, trust me when I say what I'm about to say. So, Laura and I have a very specific passion in missions. We, We long to see people come to Christ. Uh, that is that is our greatest desire. But we also long to meet the missionaries where they're at and in their time of need. Having grown up as the child of missionaries and Laura having grown up as the child of a pastor and his wife, we know that ministry families are constantly under 
a lot of stress. Constantly under uh, just the, the challenge of what it means to lead people to Christ. To continue to lead them in discipleship. And, and so, ever since we started graduate school, Laura and I really desired to have an opportunity to move overseas and to basically be missionaries to missionaries. Not that they need salvation, but that they need pastoral care. They need someone to listen to them, to encourage them, to challenge them. Uh, because of some of the things that are on this screen. And I'll just pick one from each of the columns. So I have three major stressors, categories of stressors that missionaries face. The first is the, the stressor of transition. And this is what our family is actually currently struggling with right now. We haven't gotten to the field yet, but we're already dealing with this. So transition includes anything from culture shock to learning the language, I have an advantage. I already speak French, but Laura's going to have to go to a uh, one-year intensive language school to learn uh, French. Uh, learning new cultural norms, being homesick, maybe even having a resentment or a dislike of the new culture that you're in. You, you built it all up to be something, and then it turns out to be something completely different. Uh, and then even once you get onto the mission field, sometimes the Lord has you in a place for a season, then he moves you to some new place. And so part of our goal is to help alleviate the challenge of the transition that missionaries face. To provide them with material, biblical material, that they can use to give them comfort and give them peace. As we were singing earlier, I just love that, that, that first hymn that we sang. You know, peace, peace, wonderful peace. We need that from the Lord. And, uh, and missionaries need that. They're not these super Christians. You know, they're like you and me. And they need that encouragement. And, and, and in the midst of transition, it is very hard. I can speak to that having gone through that many times as a child. And so we will, we will come alongside of new missionaries as they come to the field. Just to be there as, as loving brothers and sisters in Christ. And to give them any kind of spiritual, emotional, and even physical direction that they might need. Then there are ministry stressors. And these kind of uh, are true of pastors here in the States. And these are some of the unique ones that you might face internationally. So you have missionaries coming from the United States. From places like Australia, Germany. Holland, England, and they're all converging on the same area. So the organization we're going with is called World Team. And we're all converging on the French field to see the people of France come to faith in Christ. Can you imagine people from different cultures seeing things exactly the same way? Always being in agreement about methodology and, and different things. No! It's hard. And so part of our goal is to come alongside and, and even to intervene when teams aren't seeing things the same way that they should. When, when personalities are in conflict. When an American with his to-do list, because that's what we Americans like to have. We like our to-do list and we like to check it off. When our American minister or missionary comes face to face with the Frenchman who likes to philosophize about everything. 
and likes to ask questions about questions and then likes to ask more questions. And even if those questions have been answered, we question them once again. Uh, having spoken to my father, that drives him batty, drives him crazy because he wants to get things done. And the trouble is, it's just a different way to approach it. Now, sometimes the French need a little nudge. And sometimes we Americans need to be told, let's, let's slow down. We don't have to do things as quickly as you would like. We're so result-oriented and numbers-oriented that sometimes we lose focus of the fact that, that kingdom work is like farming. And farming isn't an overnight thing. You don't plant the seed and see the fruit the next day. You know, you work the soil first and then you plant the seed and then you water it and you water it and you water it and you and you take care of it. And then the harvest comes. And so coming alongside of these multicultural teams to help them because they are there for the same purpose. To see the French come to Christ, to see them uh, Transformed. I was speaking with just a few of you today already and having heard some of your testimonies, how God has just taken you from being in Satan's kingdom, following him and basically worshiping him in his ways. And now God has transferred you into his kingdom of light and he has given you victory over things that the world says you could never have victory over. That's why these missionaries are coming together, and yet sometimes we can lose focus of that. And so our goal, one of our goals, is to come alongside of those teams that are struggling to form cohesiveness. And then you think about, all right, as Americans, we need to think about how do we minister to the French? Because good evangelistic methods here in the States may not be good evangelistic methods in France. The message is the same, but the mode might need to be changed. And so helping our missionaries understand that and find uh, culturally appropriate ways to share the gospel. Being a missionary has financial challenges. Uh, We are going to be completely faith supported by people like you, churches like yours, who have committed to give on a monthly or quarterly basis to our ministry so that we can... Do what God has called us to do. But there are times where churches or individuals have changes in their budgets and can't continue to support. And that can be a little bit stressful when you don't know where your money is going to come from. And so we're going to be there to to minister to missionaries as they face those kinds of things. And uh, while some may have the perspective that, again, missionaries are super Christians, they're not. And they have conflicts. My parents have had some conflicts with their colleagues along the way. And that's hard. But as Christians, we're called to work through those things. Now sometimes, working through it means Paul and Barnabas going in different directions. Sometimes it means working through it and figuring out how to compromise. And so we'll be there to help and figure those kinds of things out with our missionaries. And then you have family stressors. Nothing stressful about moving your family across you know, the, the ocean, right? We're already struggling with that. It, you know, I mentioned Laura's father's pastor in Northeast, about 10 minutes from where we live. Both of Laura's brothers live 20 minutes away. They have four kids. Our kids are grieving already. Our, our two oldest, Seth has no idea. Um, <laughs> uh, 
But our oldest especially keeps saying, Daddy, I don't want to leave my cousins. That breaks my heart, you know, just to think about what it means, the cost of taking the gospel overseas and to consider the sacrifice and knowing what it feels like to see your children broken up because they're leaving people that they love. But it's, it's a worthy cause, and we're thankful to be able to do that. And so we will help families as they grieve, hopefully, and, and help them just find the comfort that can only come from Christ. And so we're grieving uh, family. My oldest is grieving Chick-fil-A. She loves Chick-fil-A. Um, Daddy's there Chick-fil-A in France? No, not yet, honey. Sorry. Not yet. <laughs> but think about holidays and how they'll be different. New traditions without family. Thankfully, my parents actually still live in France. So for us, it's a unique situation. We'll be able to get together with them as we desire. Uh, isolation is a huge struggle. I think both in pastoral ministry here in the States, it's easy to isolate yourself and to say, you know what, I can't bear my burdens to others because they just wouldn't understand. Well, missionaries feel much the same and oftentimes just don't have any community in which they can share. And so we long to provide that for them and to encourage them to find healthy ways to express their challenges. Someday our kids will get older and they will go away to college. And that will be hard because they'll most likely come back here to the States. And we really sense the Lord calling us to stay in France at this stage until we retire. That's our plan. And so to consider what it's going to be like to miss out on so many things in their lives, that's, that's hard. And so we're going to come alongside of missionaries who are dealing with that. Um, and then there are people who lose grandparents, parents, siblings while they're overseas. You know, how do you walk with them through grief? And so those are just some of the major stressors that we're going to be faced with as, as a family ourselves, but that we will be hopefully ministering to and speaking life to uh, these missionaries as we move over there. If you would turn to the next slide. Uh, a study was done over a span of 20 years, from 1981 until 2000, of I don't remember how many mission agencies, but countless mission agencies. And what was found was that over the span of 10 years, each mission agency lost on average 46% of its missionary personnel. So nearly half of the missionaries that, that were on the field 10 years prior came off the field within 10 years. And half of those came off the field for reasons that could be prevented, like team or work-related issues, as I just shared about, uh, personal issues, um, that could be worked through, and even sin issues. Missionaries sin. And if kept in isolation and kept quiet, they can lead to dismissal. And so part of our goal is to develop a healthy spiritual climate where missionaries feel free to be able to say, hey, listen, Chris, I'm struggling with this. Can you help me? Or can somebody else help me? And so we want to we make sure that our missionaries are not just surviving on the field, but that they're thriving. Next slide, please. So we've been invited uh, to do primarily four things. To care for spiritual and emotional needs of our missionaries. I think I've made that clear. To help them work through the challenges of cultural and relational stressors. To develop and nurture healthy and biblical relationships. And here's one of the things we're excited about because nobody's done anything with this in our mission yet. And that's ministering to the children of these missionaries. Um, to come alongside of them, to develop 
programs, retreats, conferences, whatever the Lord leads us to do, to come alongside of them to make sure that they are growing and maturing spiritually. Uh, You can actually skip over the next slide because that's the scripture for my sermon and I'll share that with you in just a minute. So skip to... Uh, skip two slides. Yeah, why France? Why would I go to France besides the fact that it's a beautiful country? So while there's a rich history of Christian faith, and the, and the picture that you see here is actually in the heart of Paris. And if you turn to the right, you'll see the great Sacré-Cœur Basilica, so this beautiful white cathedral. This is more of your typical Catholic church in any given village. The trouble is that there's really only an architectural evidence that there was Christian faith in France. Most of these buildings act like museums. They're empty on Sundays. They're filled with visitors throughout the the week, just in awe of just the beauty. But they're spiritually defunct and devoid of anything. Only 1% of the French population are followers of Christ. Born again believers. 1%. 1%. Meanwhile, 10% of the population are Muslim. And so you see a great difference there. But the majority of the population would be considered atheists. So they might identify as Catholic, but they've never set foot in a church, or if they have, it was for Easter Mass like 10 years ago. Most of them would claim that there is no God um, and I'll share with you uh, a story of one of my best friends in just a minute. There's only one evangelical church for every 80,000 people. One evangelical church. So one church just like this that loves God for every 80,000 people. And the church, the, the average church size is probably about the size of this church here. So there are very, very, very few large Churches. Next slide, please. This uh, is a picture of myself. We went to France this summer uh, to meet the missionaries, and this is actually my best childhood friend. His name is Jean Michel. And uh, this is a typical French story. I've known Jean Michel since 1993. Uh, So, again, a long, long time. But like most French people, Jean-Michel questions that, there, that it's even possible that there would be a God. And if there were a God, how in the world could he be loving because of all the suffering in this world? That is the constant question that we circle around every time I visit. Because <laughs> he knows what I believe. He's heard me share the gospel countless times. But he can't wrap his mind around the fact that God could be loving and yet that there would be all the suffering and all the evil. In this world. And so I've shared. I've researched. I've done everything I possibly can. To be able to share. How the two could coexist. That there's a loving God. And that there's evil in this world. But he's not there yet. And it's people like this. That we're going to France for. That is why we're going. Because there are so many people. Who are deceived into believing. That there is no God. In many ways it's not much different. Than our culture here. Is it? Uh, If you want to see where we're going as a country, just look to France. Look to Western Europe. Um, And it's sad. And yet, there seems to be a resurgence, especially among younger generations, of people who are so unaware of spiritual things that they are actually open to the gospel. My parents' church 
a, a, you know, a, a small church of 75 people. My parents are in their early 60s, so still young in my mind. They are by far, by far the oldest. Most, probably 90% of their membership are 30s and younger, which is fantastic. Because there's, in my mind, that means there's hope that the gospel will continue to be carried on. I mean, there, you know, we know in the scripture there will always be a remnant. But there's hope for France. There seems to be uh, some momentum, and we're very thankful for that, and we want to play a role. And so that's just a very small part of what we're going to be doing, what we're hoping to do. And so if you turn to our last slide here, we'd love to have you join our ministry team. The, the biggest part is prayer. We will regularly send Brian and John, and any of you who sign up, I'll have a sign-up uh, form here for you. If you want to get regular email updates, uh, we will send, you know, Whatever's been going on that we can share about and prayer requests, we covet your prayers. Uh, we have a really great, strong uh, prayer support team already, and God has been answering their prayers in mighty ways. In fact, I uh, just heard today that our church has approved a 12-week severance for me and my wife so that we can focus on full-time support raising. And this is from a church that we felt very little support from at the very beginning. When I announced to our church that we were moving to France, you could kind of see it took the wind out of their sails. And while we love missions in our church, they were counting on me taking our soon-to-be-retiring senior pastor's position this fall. But God has been working in their lives. He's provided a temporary house for us to move into as soon as our house sells, uh, which we're hoping to sell here in the next month or so. And he's provided, a, provided it free of charge on a beautiful farmland with horses and cows. It's just amazing. You know, God is just doing some awesome things. And so we would love to have you join our prayer team. If you would consider joining our financial team, we would love that as well. And I'd be glad to talk to you about what that looks like individually. And you, know, you can fill out on the form if that's something that would interest you. Uh, but we are just so blessed. And humbled because we don't we don't feel like we're we're not worthy, we're not worthy of this calling. Except we are because of what Jesus said. You know, we are all worthy of that calling, not because we have it in of ourselves, but because what Jesus has done in your life and in mine, we are worthy vessels of His grace to take the gospel wherever we go. And so, if that means that you're staying here in Brooklyn for the rest of your life. And that's a perfect mission field because Brooklyn needs Jesus. If it means that you're going to France or to Africa or Asia or somewhere else in this country or anywhere else in the world, uh, Jesus will lead you. And that's what we're trusting he's going to do for us. And so yeah, that is just a bit about our ministry. I understand we're going to have a meal after this. So be glad to sit and talk with you about more about what we're going to be doing. Uh, but I do want to transition to uh, the word um, this morning. Let, let's, let's transition first with the word of prayer. Father, what a privilege it is to be here. I thank you. I thank you for uh, just lining this up. Lord, the way you made it happen is just so you. Just how you uh, make uh, connections. Uh, just uh, having known John and Kim one Sunday out of every year over the last couple of years. Thank you, Father, for that blessing. Without that, I wouldn't be here today. 
And I pray, Father, that you would just uh, bless and honor this new relationship we have. And as we turn to your word, I pray that you would help us to hear you speak. Father, give me words of wisdom. Uh, Father, you know I'm... (laughs) I'm not naturally a public speaker. And in spite of that, Father, I pray that you would use me to bring your word in a way that would honor you, in a way that would encourage and stimulate your body here in Brooklyn. And so we look to you uh, to reveal yourself to us. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So I'd like for you to consider all of the things in which you find comfort. Perhaps it's the security of the relationships that you have amongst your family or friends. You take comfort in knowing that your family or friends or both will always be there for you. Perhaps your home is your safe haven as it is for so many of us Americans and it's a place of comfort, the place where you have the creature comforts that give you peace. Things like a fridge filled with good food. Right, Brian? I know you like food. I don't haven't known you long, but I know you like food. Or maybe it's the place where you like to curl up on your couch and either watch sports or movie or read your favorite book. You find comfort in being home because it's your shelter away from this world. Perhaps you find comfort... And knowing that you're professionally successful. And when everything else around you is going poorly or rough, at least you have your career to lean back on. At least you have your 401k or your other retirement packages to look forward to. Or your your annual bonus. You You know you have that to count on. Or perhaps you find comfort in never leaving your comfort zone at all. You take very few risks so that you avoid... Failure. How many of us are crippled by that? We take comfort in never leaving whatever is most comfortable to us. You see, we all seek comfort. It's part of our DNA. And we have many reasons to seek comfort. But the greatest of those reasons is the fact that we have a broken relationship with God. Experiencing the results of our personal sin leads us to pursue comfort. Beyond that, we all experience the brokenness of human relationships. Anybody in this room able to raise your hand and say, my relationships with everybody around me are perfect? Any hands? No? Okay. That's part of our life. And so as a result, we seek to find comfort from that brokenness in one way or another. Sadly, loss is a common thread in our human experience. Whether you've lost loved ones, and we've talked about in recent days together, right? Or maybe you've lost your health. Or maybe you've lost relationships with people that you love. Maybe you've lost your job, or maybe you've just lost your joy. How often does our experience of life not meet or match what we expected of it. The experience we go through is not what we expected. We're so often left picking up the pieces and trying to figure out where do we go from here? 
Today we're going to explore this theme of comfort. We'll first look at how to find comfort in God. And then how we are, to, how we are called to share that comfort with others. And we'll conclude this study by looking at the unshakable hope we have in God through Christ. So if you would turn with me uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Or you can follow on the, on the screen, I suppose. But 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. We're going to read through verse 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. As I mentioned in the introduction, suffering is a natural part of life. Perhaps you've experienced a loss in recent days or weeks or years. If I took a survey, which we won't do right now, I bet you that each one of you could list at least one, two, perhaps more losses in recent time. The loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, the loss of relationship, the loss of health, so on and so forth. And so what I want to ask you this morning, this morning, I'm used to preaching in the morning. Um, what I want to ask you this afternoon and evening is what do you do? Where do you run to for comfort in the midst of your losses, in the midst of your suffering? Now, as a pastor and as a trained counselor... I've noted in the years of ministry that I've been at the church and doing counseling that there are typically four ways that people handle comfort. They'll turn to these four different categories. One is distraction. People distract themselves from their hurts through things like entertainment, through things like hobbies that become obsessions, or becoming a workaholic. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but any workaholics here. What are you distracting yourself from? What are you working away from? So we distract ourselves. Some of us numb ourselves. I'm guilty of this. Comfort food, right? We go to food for comfort. You know, food was designed to you know, sustain us, and God has also designed it as a blessing. But how many of us turn to, com to, to food for comfort? I think the great epidemic of obesity in our country is a huge demonstration of the, fact, of the fact that people go to food for their comfort. Others numb themselves with drugs or alcohol. And that's such a problem. Not just in Brooklyn. So in this little sleepy county in which I live, 80,000 people in the whole county. No, 100,000, I'm sorry. 100,000 people in the whole county. 
It is per capita the worst place for drugs in the whole state. Not Baltimore County, Cecil County. It's right on the 95 corridor between Washington, Baltimore, Philadelphia, and New York City. And so you see just the drug trafficking go back and forth. I live in this beautiful neighborhood. Great home. Been there four years. The first two years, there were five drug busts. And there are maybe 15 homes on my street. Drugs are a problem. People are running to drugs for a reason. They're looking for comfort. They're looking... Sorry. (laughs) They're looking to numb themselves from the pain that they're experiencing in life. Others numb their problems, their pain, uh, by doing everything you could imagine sexually. Why do people turn to sex for comfort? Because it feels good. But before you realize that you've so far gone beyond what God designed sex to be, which is between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. And so you have these people turning to sex or pornography or different things because they're, they're longing to, to, to give themselves comfort from their suffering. So some of us distract ourselves. Others of us numb ourselves. Other, others of us are looking for power. So we're looking for significance and money and success and achievements. And if only we attain this next level in corporate America or whatever it is that we're doing, then I will be satisfied. That's a lie. Because it's an endless game. It's like the hamster going around on the wheel. He never gets to where he's looking to get. just constantly going. So people are looking to find comfort in the power that they can, that they can uh, achieve. And then others look to find comfort in human relationships. And God designed human relationships for a reason. We're called to encourage one another, to comfort one another, to, to challenge one another. But you would be amazed at how many people I've met who depend completely on others to find their comfort. And so when things go wrong in that relationship, they're devastated. They're so enmeshed in those relationships that when that person says just one bad thing, their world comes crumbling apart. And that's just scratching the surface. So we distract ourselves, we numb ourselves, we we look for power, we we seek relationships to give us comfort. But what does Paul say? What does he say here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3? He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So Paul describes God in two ways in this verse. First, the father, he's the father of mercies. Consider this. God treats his followers, those whom he has plucked out of that kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of light. He treats us with kindness and love and tenderness instead of with righteous judgment. Yes. Amen. Amen. We deserve God's holy wrath. That is the consequence of our sin. And yet, because of Christ, what he has done on our behalf by dying on the cross, as we, you know, as we stated, as we 
uh, said the Apostles' Creed earlier. Yeah, Jesus came to die on the cross to pay for our sins, and he was buried. But thank God he didn't stay in the grave. He rose on that third day to demonstrate his power over sin. To demonstrate his power over the penalty of sin. And so we have a great and loving God who is the Father of mercies, who treats us with kindness and love and tenderness instead of judgment. But I love that last description of God in this verse. The God of all comforts. In the Greek, this is calling God the paraclete. The one who comes alongside to help. Can you imagine that? The God of the universe, the one who spoke everything into existence. He wants to come alongside of you and basically do this. To give you a big old hug. Right. He, want, he wants to comfort you. He wants to come alongside of you in the place of suffering that you're in. And you're all suffering. One way or another. And he wants to come alongside of you and say, hey, listen. I've got peace. Peace. Wonderful peace. How appropriate that we say that. I offer you rest. I offer you joy. I offer you comfort. Would you come to me for it? Psalm 34, 18 says this. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And he saves the crushed in spirit. How many of you are brokenhearted today? How many of you are crushed in spirit? Well, take heart because Jesus longs to meet you right there. And he doesn't promise to take you out of those difficult circumstances yeah, this isn't the name it, claim it, prosperity gospel message. Sorry. I, well, probably, no, I'm not sorry. <laughs> Suffering's real. And it's hard. But we have a God who's so much bigger than our suffering. Psalm 147 says this. He says, he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. That's what people are looking for when they're distracting themselves, when they're numbing themselves, when they're looking for significance and the power that they can achieve, when they're looking for comfort in relationships. What are they looking for? They're looking to be healed. But none of those things can do it. It's like putting a band-aid on a tumor. It doesn't make sense. You might be able to cover it up if it's a tiny little tumor, but guess what? If you don't treat that cancer aggressively... Usually with chemo, what happens? The cancer spreads. Eventually the cancer takes you. Same thing with our comfort. If we're not careful, if we're looking for comfort outside of God's will, eventually it creeps into all areas of our life. And instead of finding comfort in God, we're finding comfort in the world. But Paul continues on in verse 4. He says, That God comforts us in all of our affliction. No matter what you're going through, and and I know bits and pieces of just a couple of your stories in here. But no matter what it is that you're going through, God will meet you there. And he will give you the comfort that you need. So my plea to you as a fellow brother in Christ, as a fellow sufferer, is stop turning to earthly comforts. 
That's not to say that you have to sell your house and live on the street. I'm not telling you that. If you find comfort in your home. But instead of turning to your home for comfort, turn to the only one who can give you true, lasting peace and joy. Turn to the one who can give you the comfort you need. Now if you have your Bibles, and maybe if you're fast in the back, I forgot to share this with Ken. Psalm 130 is a perfect, a perfect illustration of what it looks like to find comfort in God. This is one of the songs of ascents. In the, in the Psalter. And here we have, in some ways, a formula by which you can find comfort in God. Now this isn't the only way, but this is one of the ways in which I see in the scripture that you can find comfort in the Lord. Here's what the psalmist says. Psalm 130, starting in verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him in plentiful redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So I see four different parts in this in this psalm that are parts of finding comfort in God. The first is crying out to God. God already knows where you're at. He's not surprised by it. And yet, how often do we really just cry out to Him? And I'm not saying, oh Lord, you know my sufferings. It's like, Lord, you know what I'm going through. Hear my heart. Out of the depths I cry to you. Hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. How often do we just turn to one another? Hey, you wouldn't believe this. Instead of turning to God. And crying out to Him. It is okay. It is actually encouraged. To tell the Lord where you're at. Amen. Yes. <laughs> David. You know countless signs in the Psalms. Says where are you Lord? Why have you forsaken me? Why are you silent? Why are you letting these enemies chase after me? So on and so on and so on. If David, the man after God's own heart, can be so brutally honest with God, why not us? So cry out. If you need comfort from God, cry out to Him. And then, in verses 3 and 4, you see that you need to remember, reflect on the truth that you stand in His grace. The psalmist says this, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? So in other words, if you, O Lord, kept track of all my sins, I couldn't stand. And apart from Christ, God does keep track of all of our sins. And that's why there will be righteous judgments in the end. And those who haven't trusted in Christ for the salvation from their sins will be cast into eternal damnation. But we are different, not because we're good, but because of Jesus. 
Because the psalmist continues, he says, but with you there is forgiveness. And so we need to remember, as we're looking for comfort from God, we need to remember the redemption He has offered us. We need to remember the salvation that comes through Christ alone, by grace through faith. We stand in His grace. But perhaps the thing that we struggle the most as Americans is what the psalmist says next in verses 5 and 6. He says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His word I hope. Now we live in a very unique time in the history of mankind. We have these awesome technological devices. But they are also great devices in our lives. Because we live in the day of Instagram. We live in the day of Facebook. But we don't serve Instagod. We don't serve Instagod. How often do I cry out to God and and sometimes it feels like it's falling on deaf ears? I know it's not. My theology tells me otherwise. But sometimes my emotional whatever experience in life tells me, what in the world, God? Where are you? He's wanting me to wait. Lord, I've been in this process to get on the mission field for well over a year. And we're still... You know, we're working there. We're trying to get there. But it's been one wait after another. You turn in your application. You wait for an initial response. Oh, there's more stuff to fill out. you got to wait for a response. Oh, you got to wait for this one week of huge, like, you've never been evaluated and scrutinized in any possible way like we have been in that week. And then you got to wait for their answer again. Wait, 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 wait. But isn't that life? It just seems like you're waiting for one thing and another, and another. And we as Americans rebel against that. We want instant popcorn, so we put it in the microwave. It doesn't taste as good as when you used to cook it the way you used to cook it, but you still do it that way. We go to fast food because we're hungry. We want it now. But give me a five-star dinner at a sit-down restaurant. I'll take that any day over McDonald's or whatever. But we live in this, in this day of Instagram and we don't serve Instagod. So often he wants to test our faith to lead us to perseverance and patience. He wants us to wait on him. And so part of finding comfort in him is waiting. And trusting that he will come through. And then the psalmist says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. Hope in the Lord. Remember why your hope in the Lord is not fleeting. Because the psalmist continues and he says, For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is plentiful redemption. Though your current circumstances may be dire. Though it feels like death may be at your door. Though it feels like nothing seems to be going right. God's love is steadfast. And his redemption is wonderful and sure. And so if you're struggling to find comfort in God, I'd encourage you in your own time, study Psalm 130 and then evaluate your heart and say, okay, where am I struggling? And as God gives you grace to grow, go back and see where else are you struggling. And continue to do that and eventually you will find comfort 
in the Lord. And as you find comfort in the Lord, and as we turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we then have a responsibility to share that comfort with others. You know, whenever God gives us something good, He never intends for us to keep it to ourselves. The greatest example of that, of course, is the gospel. He has called you to be missionaries. Did you know that? I hope so. It's not just people like Laura and I who have devoted our lives to go overseas to be missionaries. That's not the only kind of missionary life. Most missionaries are Christians who are living in their current context. And so Brooklyn is your mission field. You've been called to share the gospel with others. But just as we've been shared, uh, we've been we've been told and, and, and commanded to share the gospel because it is the greatest gift of all. We are also called to share this comfort that we receive from God. In the midst of our suffering, and as we find our comfort in God, then we are called to share that comfort with others. And in many ways, this is the essence of why Laura and I are going to France. We have found comfort in God. And by his grace, we will continue doing so. And we will minister to missionaries who have somehow, at times, lost their vision for finding comfort in God. And they get so busy with doing the work of the gospel that they forget the God of the gospel. But this call to share God's comfort is not just for vocational missionaries or pastors. It is a calling that each Christian has. And so this should cause us to ask a couple of questions. First, are you finding comfort in God? Because you can't offer God's comfort if you haven't experienced it yourself. And if you're not finding that comfort in God, why not? What's holding you back? Beyond that, if you have found comfort in God, have you been sharing that comfort with others? And I would add... How are you sharing that comfort with others? Because it's not just a matter of waving the Bible like a magic wand and saying, You need this verse! (laughs) First, you need to be a listener. You need to enter people's pains and understand their circumstances. And as you build credibility and relationship with them, then you can offer them the grace and comfort you've received in Christ. And Paul gives us, he gives us a couple of examples of why we are to share this comfort. He says in verse 6, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And so as you find comfort from God in the midst of your suffering, consider that God is doing that so that you might be a vessel of his comfort to others. We each have unique stories. My story is very unique. Not many people grew up as a child of a missionary. I think I have a unique opportunity to take the suffering I experienced as a child, and even as an adult. I love my parents. I see them maybe once a year. Thank God for things like Skype. It's a small suffering in some ways compared to others, but it's hard. But God has used my unique story to shape my heart to want to share the comfort I've found in God and share it with people who are in similar circumstances. Same is true for you. Whatever you have gone through in your life is not wasted. 
God has allowed you or ordained for you to experience suffering so that you can find comfort and so that you can find others who are suffering so that you might offer them comfort. Praise God. Isn't that beautiful? Yes. So God has... We share in this comfort and we share it with others so that we might offer that comfort to others. But sometimes that is exactly what people need so that they might be saved. Maybe your background is that of being involved in drugs or alcohol or you know, illicit sex or you know, workaholism. Your story has a unique opportunity and power to speak into the lives of people who are going through the same thing today. I thank God for his protection on my life. I've never touched a drug. I've never smoked a cigarette. Praise God. But that doesn't mean I'm better than anyone who has done that. But if you have, you have more credibility if God has taken you out of that. You have more credibility with people who are struggling with it because you've been, you've been there. And so if you've been there and you've experienced the comfort of God, Take that opportunity to share it with others. And it might lead them to salvation. Suffering has a way of of shaking us up. I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes it leaves me feeling as though up is down, down is up, left is right, right is left. You know, suffering is hard. And we're often left easily shaken by it. But it doesn't have to be this way. And Paul concludes... This brief intro into 2 Corinthians with verse 7. He says, our hope for you. So he's speaking to the Corinthians. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. His hope was not unshakable because he knew that God was going to take them out of their circumstances. I mean, of all Christians, Paul... He suffered just a bit, right? Just a bit. Shipwrecks, beaten, imprisoned. He just dealt with a lot. So his hope wasn't in the fact that God was just going to take these fellow Christians out of their suffering. But he knew. And he experienced the comfort that God offers in affliction. And he trusted that God would offer the Corinthians that exact same comfort. And so it's my prayer for you, although I really don't know any of you well. It's my prayer for you that you have that same kind of unshakable hope. That no matter how much adversity you might face, that you experience the comfort that comes from our Heavenly Father. And in turn, that you would then share the comfort that you have received with others. The verses that we've studied in my mind briefly, I don't know, I should have kept track of how long I've been going here. But these verses remind me of something that Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 16. He says this, in this world, you will have trouble. Great promise. I I preached through the promises of God this summer. I don't know if you were there for that when you were here, but or down in Perryville. But I I preached a a three-sermon series on the promises of God, and I kind of found some obscure ones, and this was one of them. Jesus has promised you trouble. 
great evangelistic message. Lots of people trusted Christ that day. Amen. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. Do you believe this? I hope so. Because if you don't, it's depressing. And if you don't, why are you here? I'll keep coming because you need to hear the message. But believe that. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. Christ has overcome the world. Does your life reflect that truth? Are you honest with your suffering? I think so many Christians put on this phony front. How you doing? Oh, I'm blessed. Yeah, you are. But deep down inside, you are struggling. You have people you can be honest with. To have an integrity of suffering with. Do you have a community where you can just bear your soul and say, you know what? Life stinks. I use that word. Life stinks. Does your life reflect that truth? But does it also reflect the truth that Christ has overcome the world? And then do you share that beautiful comfort with others? I hope so. I hope so. And again, not simply by offering spiritual platitudes. We Western Christians, maybe Christians all across the world, we're so good at that. Oh, God's never going to give you more than you can handle. Well, first of all, that's a total misinterpretation and terrible perspective on a scripture. Because that scripture that people try to use is actually about temptation. That there's not going to be any temptation that's going to come to you that's not common to man. But so many people say, oh, well, God's not going to give you more than you can handle. Well, why do I need God? No, I need God because I can't handle this. And so trust in Him. And so as you're looking to comfort others, don't just take your Bible and and do spiritual baseball, whacking people, right? You know, opening day is today for some baseball teams. I love baseball. But don't be taking the Bible like a bat and just bashing people up against the head with it. I mean, it's... And maybe I'm oversensitive to this because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a tra- you know, my training's as a counselor, right? And so I'm sensitive to people's feelings. And yes, I ask that, that typical question, so how, how does that make you feel, right? You know, that's a good counselor question. But so many Christians and well-meaning Christians, they, 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 they want to offer comfort. But in trying to offer comfort, they miss the suffering that their brother or sister is going. Don't miss their suffering because if you do, you're not going to be able to comfort them. Sit with them. Be Job's friends before they open their mouths. Job's friends were great when they sat with him in his pain. But as soon as they opened their mouths, they started saying stupid stuff. And honestly, that's just like us. If we're not careful. We need to be theologically grounded. We need this desperately. But before we can use this as a tool of comfort, we need to use the common sense that God has given us to listen, to encourage, to understand the problem so that we can then speak to it. Do you think Joseph 
when his brother sold him into slavery, wanted to hear, uh, you know, all things work together for the good, <laughs> right? I don't imagine that that's how he, what would have ministered to him in that moment. But then consider the ending of his story. What, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Eventually he was open to what God was doing. So we don't want to ignore the scripture. But we don't want to do that spiritual baseball like I was talking to you about. So where are you with this? Are you finding comfort in God? I hope so. If not, turn to Psalm 130. Talk to one of your pastors. Talk to me over dinner. I'd be glad to sit down and talk with you. We're not going to fix your problems. We can't heal you. Only God can do that. And so often in the midst of our suffering, it takes time. It takes time. So be patient. Wait on the Lord. And as you find comfort in Him, then you can be God's agents of comfort in this world. Let's pray. Father, we are unworthy of the comfort that you offer. And yet you so graciously give it to us and we are so thankful. We would pray, Father, that you would, uh, even in this moment, be comforting those who are struggling in this room. And for those who found comfort in you, I pray that you would empower them to then take that comfort wherever they go. And to share it with people around them. And so, Father, we would just uh, we pray that you would be glorified in and through our lives. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.